Well, I'm excited for 2022. A couple weeks ago, I got to just take a block of time and really pray and hear from the Lord as to what the next several months will look like as far as sermons. And I'm so pumped. I mean, somebody who's been in ministry for 20 years, you would think I regurgitate a lot of stuff I've learned. But what's been so interesting about Southgate is I can have a topic I've taught about before, but it's been very rare where I've ever repeated a, a full sermon um, here at the pulpit. And even in the new series we're going to begin today, it's a five-part series in the five Sundays of January based off a book I published in 2016 called Wrecked by Love. I'm using the general concepts of the book, but the Lord is really pouring in some fresh revelation, and I'm very excited for what he's going to pour out in January. But in February, I'm going to do a series on heaven. I've never preached a series on heaven before, and I'm super excited I think something with uh, Pastor Phil's home going really lit a fire in me, and I want to explore heaven and uh, some of the misconceptions and some of the great joys we will see in heaven. I'm going to do a series on just the miracles of Elisha. Um, I mean, we're going to do all kinds of amazing things that God has put on my heart, and I'm very, very excited for 2022. But today, we're going to begin talking through a journey of what sonship, and when I say sonship in the next couple of weeks, I mean sons and daughters. It's a theological term, sonship, but really unpacking what it looks like to encounter God, to get out of our past, to express his love and his power, to enter into great community, and to see what it looks like to operate as a child of God. It seems so elementary, but it's so vital and so powerful when we see it manifested. So let's pray, and we'll dive right in. Father, thank you so much for the multiple aspects of worship we've already had this morning from the partaking of communion to the musical worship, now the opening of the scriptures and worshiping you in the gratitude we have in the written word of God. May you be with us as we open up the scriptures and as we hear from you. May it not just be words that flow from my heart, but Father, from heaven, words that flow to each and every one of your sons and daughters here, those who are watching online. Go before us as we open up this brand new series. Speak to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I was blessed as a teenager, I had an amazing youth group. I mean, I had 150 or so just high school students. All of my best friends were part of this youth group. All of those friends are either in full-time ministry or they're living godly lives, serving their community with amazing families. All came from that group of, of teenagers. And there was others in the youth group that were just the kind of kids that made a big impact in my life. And I've talked about some of them over the, the last couple months, but one of them, uh, his name was Rory. And this kid was, I mean, as close to Jesus in the flesh that you can imagine. And I know that's a, a big compliment to a person, but this, this guy who came from a single mom a household uh, just was given just a bad hand in life and never let it affect him. He loved the Lord with all of his heart. And I mean, no other person that I know can exemplify what it means to live for the Lord with all your heart, quite like Rory. And I would see him all over the place. If it was at my school, he was leading Christian club. If I walked into Starbucks, he was there with an open Bible with somebody who was new to the faith and he was discipling and just helping him through, even as a teenager. Uh, I would go to uh, Walmart and there he's talking to strangers or he's ministering to the panhandlers that are outside of the door. He was just always talking about Jesus, always in a good mood. And eventually he um, got a job working as a youth pastor at a very large church in town. And I love this kid, but it was a huge shock and no reason why it was a shock when I found out at only 23 years old, he passed away. 
And I was like, how did that even happen? He was athletic. He was healthy. He loved the Lord. I mean, if, if any person God would want to keep on planet Earth for decades, it was this man. It made no sense to me. And I found out through his mom that he actually had a heart condition. And he was at a summer camp with his youth group. And he went into the water at the lake. They had an off day and they were just enjoying time off. And he went under the water. His last words were, hey, pray for me. I'm not a great swimmer. But he went under the water, had an attack and never resurfaced. It took probably about two days before they can find his body. And it was shocking. Um, I wrestled with God for the first time in my life. At 18, 19 years old, I said, God, I don't get it. You're a good and a loving father. Rory was just the prime example of what it meant to be a godly man and one who lived for you. Why would you take him? Why wouldn't you stop this? Why wouldn't you heal him? And for days, I wrestled with this until finally I went to his memorial service. And I'm telling you, in a sanctuary of about 2,000 seats, it was jam-packed, people standing in the back, overflow rooms with the simulcast were filled as well. I mean, this guy touched thousands, literally thousands of lives. And multiple pastors and even city officials came and spoke at his funeral. And one of the pastors stepped up and he says, I know this is difficult for many people, but you need to understand that some people can live an entire lifetime in only 23 years. And for whatever reason, just that phrasing settled my heart. I said, God, you're right. A day to us is a thousand to you, and a thousand years is like a day to us. I said, Rory lived, and he probably accomplished what he needed to on planet Earth. And even though I'm sad because he was only 23 years old, he's in glory. He's in heaven. And it just became a first testimony of me wrestling with thoughts and doubts and so forth in my flesh, but then hearing from heaven and saying, God, you're in control. God, you're a good God. And regardless of what happens in this world, I'm not going to let any circumstance come in between my heart and yours again. And it left a lasting impact in my life. And today, as we begin a new series, I want to begin with learning how to encounter God and remove the obstacles that would keep us from fully encountering the love of the Father. And in the next few weeks, we're going to go on a journey of what it looks like to be a son and a daughter of God. Because in this world, you can either live as a spiritual son or daughter, or you can live as a spiritual orphan. Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. But a, a spiritual orphan is somebody who lives their life, even though they're saved, as if the father wasn't there, as if Jesus never died for their sins. They live no different than anyone else. It's survival of the fittest. It's a victim mentality. It's I don't have any help. I got to fight for myself. By any means necessary, I will get what my heart delights. That's a spiritual orphan. But we are called not to do that. We are called to be spiritual sons and daughters. And I'm, I'm very surprised in the church and even in seminaries how little the topic of sonship is really covered. I mean, you can look at uh, systematic theology books, and there's large sections on Christology and the study of Jesus, the Son. You can read of pneumology, the study of the Holy Spirit, and you can not only see big chunks in these, these theological books, but when I went to Bible college, I took a whole class on the Holy Spirit. When I was in Bible college, I took a whole class on Jesus, but there was no class for the Father. And even in our, our spiritual history, when we look at the great revivals of the past, you look at the 1500s with the Great Awakening, it was an awakening because we got the written word of God printed in everybody's hands. And we are awakened to grace. We're awakened to the word of God, which is Jesus the Son. 
So in the 1500s, we had a revival of the sun because of the word of God. In the 1900s, people like Amy Sipple McPherson and the Foursquare and the Assemblies of God and Azusa Street Revival and the Welsh Revival with Jonathan Edwards, all these revivals was a massive move of the power of the Holy Spirit. So in our past, in the last hundred years, few hundred years, we've seen a movement of the sun, we've seen a movement of the spirit, but we have yet to see a great revival of the fatherhood of God. And I'm waiting for that day. And I'll, honestly, if God has moved through the Son in a revival and the Holy Spirit in a revival, it's only obvious that the next great awakening, the next big move is going to be spiritual orphans who come to a revelation that, that he is my father and I am a child and I lack nothing. I have all things in him. And when people truly understand who they are in God, massive and powerful things can start to happen. See, hurt people hurt people. And you do the evil things that you do because you don't fully know who you are. If you knew who you were truly in Jesus, you never want to be, you never want to do anything else than what he has called you to do. But it takes us to be realized to that and to understand that there is a father in heaven that loves us. And of all the things that Jesus did on earth, he did some cool stuff. I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen somebody in a coffin and Jesus says, resurrection power, and they come back to life. A little bit freaky. <laughs> it's a little scary, but he did those type of freaky miracles. He healed the sick. He, I mean, he would touch lepers and it would disappear. Jesus did a lot of things to reveal his power and the coming salvation. But one of the biggest topics that Jesus talked about all the time was revealing the Father. Jesus was the very physical representation of the Father. And he talked so many times about revealing the Father, so much so that Jesus never referred to himself as Messiah. He didn't refer to himself as Savior. He always said Son, Son of God, Son of David, Son of Man. It was only when people said, are you the Messiah? And he would say, it is as you say. <laughs> you know, but he didn't, he didn't put that title on him. The only title he put on himself was Son and capital S, of course. And he revealed a heavenly father that loves us. Matthew 7, verse 11. I call it the Slurpee verse, the 711, you know. <laughs> call it the Slurpee verse, 711. It says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your heavenly father who loves you. And it's so true. We need a proper understanding of this amazing God. And Jesus in John chapter 17 if you have your Bibles, you can go with me. It'll be on the screens if you don't. Read now the New American Standard, but this is what's called the high priestly prayer. I've mentioned it a few times in the last couple of weeks, but I love this scripture so much because it shows the heart of Jesus, the Son of God, revealing the heart of the Father for everyone. And there's some key verses in here that we can glance right over, but they pack such a powerful punch. We're going again to the Gospel of John, chapter 17. I'm going to read the first 12 verses, beginning in verse 1. It says, Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. Check this out, verse 3. This is eternal life. Jesus is about to give us the definition of eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Isn't it amazing? Jesus didn't say, now this is eternal life, heaven for all of eternity, infinite years in the presence of God. 
He didn't say eternal life is having no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears. No, he said the very definition of eternal life is knowing the Father. That's incredible. And heaven's already begun, in my opinion. And if I have already died to myself, I died to my old nature, here's a, a question. It's not a trick question. Where do we go when we die? Heaven. But if we've already died in Christ, then we can experience heaven now, the realities of heaven in this world. It's eternal. And we are citizens of heaven, but we are ambassadors and co-laborers of Christ while we were on earth. But the very definition of eternal life, more than just floating on the cloud with a mansion and everything made of gold and no more sorrow in heaven forever, more than that, it's being in his manifest presence. It's knowing God. Verse four, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me with yourself, with the glory which I had before you or before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men you have given me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me and I have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them and they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you and they believed that you sent me. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. I love this. Jesus' heart, he's saying, eternal life is knowing you, Father. He's saying, just as we are one, Father and Son, I want them to be one with you as well. Uh, Mike Bickle of IHOP in Kansas City, a great Bible teacher, he said that God loves you with the intensity that God loves God. It's Father, Son, Holy Spirit in heaven. The angels worshiped them. They loved each other in holy fellowship. They were one. The Father, the Son, Holy Spirit are one. Yet God loves us with the same intensity that God loves God. And so we need to encounter this God of great love. We need to realize more of who the Father is in our lives. And so I have a couple questions this morning. They're going to help us to understand this a little bit more, but also to help encounter God a little bit more. And the first question is, what is your view of the Father? How do you see God? What is your view of the Father? Are you a victim? Are you a victor? Are you a child of God or are you an orphan? Because how you see God determines a whole lot in our world. How do you see God? We need to be given a new perspective on this. I heard a story. I'm not sure if it's true or not. I don't know if it's true, but it's hilarious nonetheless. And the story is of a guy who uh, went and applied at the local cable and internet company, and he got hired on. He went through the several weeks of training. He got all the certification he needed to install internet, to fix every little issue that would go on with people's cable. And then on the first day of the job, he didn't show up. So the manager calls him and says, uh, sir, you do realize that uh, today is your first day and you have 90-day probationary period. This does not look good, not showing up on time or even showing up at all on your first day. And the guy tells him back and he says, well, I quit. Like, how do you quit? You haven't even started yet. He's like, I never really wanted to work. Then why did you go through all of that? He goes, it's very simple. 
your customer service is horrendous. So I decided to just apply, get all the training for myself so I can fix my own equipment at home and I don't have to rely on you guys. (laughs) So rather than being a victim and waiting for somebody to come and fix his stuff and it never worked, he said, I'm just going to go through it, learn it myself and fix it myself. I'm not going to be a victim. And how much more in this world where the Bible promises that we will have trials and tribulations of all kinds. But Jesus says, take heart for I have overcome the world. So are we just going to be a victim or are we going to press through whatever life hands to us so that we can learn what it means to be a son and daughter of God so that when trials come, we're equipped. Firefighters go to the fire. They don't run away in fear. Children of God run to the problems because we have the answer. We don't run away and cower in fear. But it, it starts with having an encounter with God and seeing him first and foremost as a loving father who will never leave us or forsake us. I say this quite often that the real problem in life, the real problem is not the problem. The problem is our perspective of the problem. Because issues can hit you. But if you are firm and standing upon the rock, if you have the word of God hidden in your heart, if you believe the power of the Holy Spirit, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, Romans 8, 11, is in me, then what's the problem? It's more so an opportunity. And I can keep supernaturally my peace in him because of the Holy Spirit. I don't have to even worry about what to think or what to say because he will teach me in that moment. I have all that I need, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, and I am one with God so I can bring an answer in the way that he wants to use me to this problem. So my real problems are not my problems. It's the way I see my problems. It's my perspective. And it's, it's critical for us to have the right perspective of the Father. And I say this a thousand times. And sometimes I'll say the same thing over and over and over and over and over again to where you guys get sick of it and annoyed with me, but you'll remember it, right? And this one phrase I say all the time is that the way you view God will determine how you will receive from God. So if I believe that God loves me, but that he is the author of disease and sickness and wants to bless me with cancer so that it will teach me better character, then I subconsciously am going to distance myself from God. Because if I do anything wrong, he may get me. He may strike me with lightning. And I got to be careful. But we have family members who for years refused to come to church because they believed that if they walked through the doors, they would catch on fire because of how bad of a person they were. We have this wrong idea of who God is. But if we see that he is a loving God, that he cares for me, that he is not the author of evil or sickness or all those things that I want to draw closer to him. James chapter 4, verse 8, it's so simple yet so powerful. Those who draw near to God, God will draw near to them. Very simple. If we purpose ourselves to draw closer to the heart of God, he's faithful to draw closer to us as well. And we have a choice in this world. You can either respond to the Father, whatever life happens to you. You can respond to the Father or you can react to the devil. You see, in John chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus himself says, the son can do nothing of himself, but he only does what he sees the father do. And whatever the father does, the son does in like manner. So every sentence, every step of the way, everything that Jesus did while he was on earth, he did first by hearing God speak to him, his father speak to him. That's why in, uh, gosh, what's it, John chapter 2? I think it's John chapter 2, the, the wedding at Cana. Uh, Jesus was able to say, my time has not yet come. Mary, why are you bothering me by making more wine? He said, Father, should I make wine? Father said, no. So he told Mary, no, don't bother me. 
But then Mary said, hey, whatever Jesus tells you to do, just do it anyway. And then the very next verse, Jesus is making wine. So are you bipolar, Jesus? Are, are you confused? What's going on? No, I believe, and this is just the RIV, the Rudy International Version. I just believe that he was so in tune with the Father, sentence by sentence, John 5, 19, that he could hear no in one sentence in the same circumstance, and the very next sentence hear a yes, and he was that obedient. That even though he just told me no, I'm so sensitive, he just told me yes, and I will obey, even if logically it makes no sense. He was that connected to the Father. But Jesus didn't walk around planet Earth just following the devil, and whenever the devil did something bad, Jesus would respond by doing the opposite. That's not how we live this life. If all you do is follow the devil and try to do the opposite or try to overtake him or whatever else, he has just become the author of your agenda. And he doesn't bear that, that right to have our agenda, only the Father. That's why we are not to live in reaction to the devil. We're to live in response to the Father at all times. The devil should be a non-factor in our lives. We should give him no attention whatsoever. We will respond to his works. If somebody's sick, we'll pray. If somebody is possessed, we will cast it out. We'll, we'll go to work on the devil's work, but we're going to ignore the devil himself because we want God to set our agenda. We want to respond from the Father first and foremost. In our perspective in life and our problems, so many of them can go away with the right perspective of the Father. The Father needs to be the incredible source of our perspective in all that we say and that we do in life. It's very simple. Uh, one pastor says it this way, I don't want a single thought in my mind that's not in the mind of God in heaven. Just that simple. Just that simple. I want to respond from God, and I don't want anything to get in the way of me encountering him. So what is my view of him? How do I see him? He's a loving father that wants to speak to me, that he wants to use me, and I want to see things the way that he sees it. So sentence by sentence, I will only do what I hear the Father say, and I will go there. If you want to encounter God more, my encouragement is to grow in your understanding and your revelation of his love for you. Now, I've been married to my wife 16 years, but every month I learn something new about her. Every year in marriage, you're like, okay, finally after 16 years, I'm going to pick that stupid towel up off of the kitchen floor and you know, I'm going to put, put, I know it makes no sense. She has baskets everywhere. She has to have a basket for everything in this house, but that's what blesses her heart. I'm going to go for it. Every year you learn a new quirk. You, you, you learn something new and you just give up on some things as well. I'm going to stop fighting for this after 20 years and just, amen, it just blesses you. But you learn more because love continues to grow. How much more the inexhaustible love of the father. We're in heaven for eternity because that's how long it's going to take to fully understand the love of God for you. So this inexhaustible love, every day we can find a fresh revelation. Every day we can be given a new understanding to the depths of God's love and be more fortified in our soul of how we can operate, not, a, not offended by the world and not thrown off by what the world can throw at us. So it begins with our perspective. What is your view of the Father? The next question is simple. What is the quality of your fellowship? What is the quality of your fellowship with God? Does God get your, your little bits that are left over, bottom of the totem pole of your day? Does God get your first fruits of your day? What is the quality of your fellowship? And as I mentioned in communion, fellowship is really a time of shared intimacy, of shared common things. It's a time of, of communion. Fellowship is this relationship that we have with God. And fellowship has to begin with trust. 
Where, where is a relationship if there's not trust? I, I learned this in multiple ways with my family, but even with our, our dogs of the past. A few years ago, uh, Nikki wanted a therapy dog, something she could take with her everywhere and just help her as she was battling a few years ago with panic disorder and, and severe anxiety and so forth. So we began looking for a dog we can get trained up to be a therapy dog. And we ended up rescuing an elderly schnauzer. She was found on the streets of Mexico, ended up being rescued. And then eventually, because she was old, she was just left at a veterinarian in Mexico uh, and they just left her there. So there was a company that brought her over in San Diego and we were able to adopt her. Best dog on planet Earth, period. All right. And so I fed this dog. I, I walked this dog. I cared for this dog. But it took a while for her to warm up to me. I don't know what abuses she faced in, in the past, but it took a long time. I mean, I would wake up in the morning and the dog would bark at me because uh, it's just, even though it was in my home, and I said that too, I'm like, this is my house, little doggy, all right? Check yourself. <laughs> I feed you, I walk you, I am God to you, all right? <laughs> and she finally stopped barking at me and then I started feeding her. And remember the story where the vet told me I need to feed her a whole lot more? I love feeding dogs, especially human food. So I began feeding her all kinds of, of uh, fun stuff, you know, and, and eventually she was getting more and more warmed up to me to one point where I was petting her, I went to give her a little dog hug because that's the best thing in the world. And as I gave her a hug, she growled at me and almost snapped at me. I said, okay, you're not ready yet. Eventually, me and that dog bonded so well, Nikki had to buy another dog because <laughs> she didn't care for her anymore. She was always with me. <laughs> so, so she became my dog. And then we had to go get Nikki another therapy dog, which she did. It was fantastic. But it took intentionality. It took intimacy. It took time. Uh, first, it had to be trust. That dog would not become my best friend until she first trusted me. And if your trust is wavering right now with the Father because of life circumstances or whatever's gone on in your world, if you can't even trust the faithfulness of God, don't try to do anything else. Start right there to let the Holy Spirit do a heart surgery to get you to trust him and to trust him with all your heart. Fellowship, again, in the definition is a partnership, a sharing in common, and communion. Partnership. Me and you, God, we're doing this together on earth as it is in heaven. I want to share the same things that bless your heart. I want my heart to beat for what your heart beats for. I want my heart to break for what your heart breaks for. And I want to commune with you. I want to develop this relationship with you. And I found that the greater agreement we have with God, the deeper the fellowship we will experience. The more we partner with him, the more our shared interests, our desires become what he desires, the deeper the fellowship are. In the Foursquare denomination, uh, as I'm continuing to learn more and more in the new restructuring, one big keystone that the Foursquare has is called the new birth. And the new birth is not just you say a cute little prayer and now you're saved for all eternity. It's that when the reality of what Jesus has done for you, you as an unbeliever, you come to that revelation, that revelation of who God is and how he sent his son for you and that you can find salvation in him. When you accept Jesus into your heart, everything changes. Everything changes. TV shows you used to watch, you can't stand it anymore. Desires you once have are now gone. Temptations that were once there now get eclipsed by this love of God. It becomes so real to you that your life changes in an instant. I mean, that's how it should be when we get more and more agreement with who God is, we become in, into a place of deeper fellowship with him. Even our natural desires start to change, but it takes work. We got to put a little bit of effort on our part and God is faithful to do his part. We draw near, but then he draws near to us. But we got to make that move because he's already moved. 
2,000 years ago, he moved for every human being. Now it's our chance to respond to him so that we can draw near to him. I was watching this interview with uh, Shaquille O'Neal. Y'all remember Shaq? <laughs> and uh, he's a hilarious guy. I was watching an interview with him, and he was talking about his now grown children. And they said, well, you make a lot of money, Mr. Shaquille. Um, what's, what's that look like in your family? Do your kids beg you for money? He goes, oh, yeah, they do. He says, but I have a rule, a motto in my household. And that motto is, you don't get my cheese until you get degrees. And if you have no idea what that means, cheese is a street term for money. <laughs> All right? When you say, let me go make this bread, let me bring home this cheddar, that means cheese, that means money. So he goes, you don't get my cheese until you get degrees. So he will not help his kids or help his kids invest or do anything financially for his kids until they graduate with a bachelor's and a master's degree. Because you will not rely on my success. I want you to be trained up in your own. You have to put forth the effort to be successful no matter what happens in life. And God, as great as he is, he's not going to force us into fellowship. He's not going to make us love us. He's going to do everything, even sending his only begotten son for us, but he will not force us to have relationship with him. So if you desire to encounter God, you need to question the quality of your fellowship. Am I going deep with God? Am I making the effort? Am I making the move to be closer to him? Am I rearranging my schedule? Am I letting go of some things to say yes to other things so that the quality of my fellowship is great? So how are you seeing God? How do you view the Father? What is the quality of your fellowship? And let me finish here today with a encouragement. Is what areas in your life do you need the Father's favor? Because God is not just going to say, do this or else. He's going to say, let me help you do this. And in Romans 8, 26, it says that the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. And I found that the favor of God leads us into encountering him and experiencing fellowship with him. But the Holy Spirit is there to help us to get rid of these, these natural fleshly deals so that we can be deeper in intimacy with him. There's a story of a uh, pastor who uh, brought in a foster child, and they're sitting at the table. They had devotions. They they shared a meal every night. They sat at the table, that type of situation in the home. And they brought the foster child in, and they noticed that the foster child was secretly uh, storing food away in his pocket. Eventually, it got to the point where in the room where the foster child was given, uh, underneath the pillow and underneath the bed was just stacks of rotten food. Because this kid and what he experienced didn't know where his next meal was going to come from. And it took time for the pastor and the wife and the family to just shed love on this kid. And that love eventually convinced them that if you ever need more food, we'll be here. If you ever need comfort, we'll be here. If you ever need warmth, we're going to give that to you no, no matter what. And it took time for them to realize that and to understand that. And I don't know what it is about our thick skulls sometimes, but we forget the incredible help that we have in the Holy Spirit. We forget that God has called us to sometimes impossible things. Sometimes he calls us into scary things, but he will never lead us into something that he is not going to equip us to have the success. God is there to give us supernatural help. And let me finish before I pray and we're dismissed here today. I just want to encourage you, don't wait to heaven to get this understanding. Don't wait till heaven to where you're in his manifest presence to fully live out your identity as a child of God. Because in heaven, they're not going to need me preaching no more. Everybody's saved. Everybody's whole. Everybody's new. My wife and I aren't even going to be married in heaven. Right? They don't need evangelists in heaven. Everybody's saved. They don't need healers in heaven. Everybody's healed. 
But what we will always be from now until all eternity is a son and a daughter of God. Bottom line, don't wait. Heaven begins now. Experience what God can do in and through you when you fully, fully grasp that you are a child of God and that he desperately wants to encounter you. So, Father, we thank you for this first Sunday of 2022. God, we know that our hearts can be weary, especially in the society we live in today, with uncertain politics, with another round of COVID, with many of our friends, even in this church here, that are home under the weather, sick, not feeling well. There's a lot of things that want to try to rob our hope here this morning. But Father, we are starting out this year, beginning with the truth that you are a loving Father who has a plan for everything and that you greatly desire to use us in your will and in your plan. But we stand here on this first Sunday asking you, Father, supernaturally and divinely, bring us favor, bring us help. Help us, Father, to draw closer to you this year, more so than just a a Bible reading plan, more so than just the resolutions that we may have in our heart that you have given to us. We want more than that, God. We want Holy Spirit supernatural help that we can walk in the favor and the anointing of God, that we can not only carry out your will, but Father, we can experience the reality of eternal life, which is knowing you. So bless my friends here today. Father, whatever you need to do, whatever heart surgery in their soul, God, whatever situations in their life you need to remove, whatever courage you need to deposit, that we can keep our eyes fixed on this one who loved us so much he would send his only begotten son. And help us, God, to walk in a boldness that only comes from the Holy Spirit. And help us to not just try to survive 2022, but, Father, to dream in the way that you dream. And sentence by sentence, to be able to hang on to the very voice of the Father that wants to guide us and direct us in all that we say and we do. Bless my friends here, those who are watching online, those who couldn't be with us today. May we walk in your protection, your favor, your abundance and prosperity. We love you today, Lord. Go before us now in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, if I don't see you at the buffet, y'all have a wonderful week.